This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. Previously on Space Train, Doug and the cadets were offered positions as part of the Doctor's soon-to-be-built Academy of Exiles, and were given a deadline to make their decision. Doug still hasn't told Goro about any of this. Soon after, Goro had the cadets destroy the Norb so that it wouldn't fall into the Doctor's hands and make him more powerful. Not everyone agreed with that. Dallas was especially upset. But in the end, it was destroyed by being flown into a black hole. 
And now for episode 17, Deadline. Doug stepped into the library car. The long room was a cylinder with bookcases curving up the walls and connecting at the top of the ceiling. One long bookcase split the floor from one end to the other. The gravity in this room was intentionally kept low to allow the cadets to float up to the books in the upper shelves and pull them from their snug sleeves. Doug was looking for a book on construction, trying to see if he could fine-tune his building skills. But as he went to type in his request into the pad next to the door, he heard a muffled cry coming from inside the room. It was more of a whimper, the sound of someone trying to suppress a cry. Doug gracefully stepped and floated around the bookcase and found Lydia, arms around her knees, holding herself to the floor by tucking her toes under one of the shelves. She immediately looked away when Doug appeared. Are you okay? Doug asked. I'm fine, Lydia said, still looking away. I just wanted to come here to think. What are you thinking about? Lydia wiped her eyes and finally looked at him. Home. I miss home. Me too. Doug floated over and held himself down next to her. We've been gone way longer than I thought we'd be. Right? It's like every time I get home, my parents are gone on business or something. I miss them. Lydia wiped away a few fresh tears. Doug put his arm around her. I know how you feel. I once cried during a sleepover. <laughs> Lydia managed to laugh. Seriously? Because you missed your family? Eh, well, kind of. It might have been more because they ran out of fruit snacks, but I'm sure there was some of that. Lydia laughed and rested her head on Doug's shoulder. Thanks, Doug. Doug's shoulder felt warm and wonderful. For a second, all he could do was stare at the top of Lydia's red head. Was this really happening? Using his free arm, he fist-pumped and mouthed, Yeah! But the motion bounced Lydia's head on his shoulder. Ow! What was that? It was just... There was a fly, Doug said. He felt incredibly stupid. Lydia smiled. Ruining the glorious moment, the intercom screeched on and Goro's voice chimed through. Lydia, Doug, I appreciate your sudden studiousness, but you are needed in the cockpit. Doug and Lydia headed to the cockpit and found Goro, Leo, and Dallas sitting in their chairs. Dallas looked surprised to see Doug and Lydia come in together. He eyed them all the way to their seats. Goro pointed out the cockpit window at a bright gray planet floating in front of them. Clouds and massive craters covered its surface. We've picked up a distress signal from the distant moon Grom, Goro said, nodding to the gray sphere outside. That's a moon? Doug asked. It's huge. Yes, it is. It looks like a planet, doesn't it? Some moons can be quite large and even sustain life. They are celestial bodies that orbit a planet or asteroid like a natural satellite. Our moon back home obviously orbits or revolves around Earth. This one orbits the planet Cronin, an uninhabitable gas giant with little to explore, and that's what makes its moon Grom so special. 
Its life and resources are rich. If they are asking for assistance, it must be serious. I'll land near the capital city while you all suit up. The toxicity levels of the atmosphere are through the roof, so please keep your helmets on. I'd hate to send you home looking like zombies. When you come in contact with someone of authority, find out what they need and report back through your headsets. While Doug and the cadets went to the exit bay and suited up, Goro flew the space train through the clouds and down into the capital city. When they hovered just above the surface, the exit doors opened and a ramp lowered in front of the cadets. Cool, Lydia said as the Grom landscape was revealed. Boxy metal buildings stood amidst gray rock and dirt. Some were small, likely houses. Others were tall with unnatural shapes like a capital H cut in half. Many were rusty and appeared to be made of a bronze-like metal. The taller ones were more polished, their surfaces a gleaming silver or copper. Scurrying between them were hundreds of short, dark-skinned people with rust-colored hair that almost matched the color of their metal structures. Gromlers, Goro said into the cadets' headsets. They are very blunt and impatient people. Some might even say rude. Speak concisely. That is to say, use your words sparingly. A Gromler set down a large metal tool and shuffled over to them. He looked gruff and serious. His copper hair receded far back on his dirt-smudged forehead, and his pizza-sized hands clenched at his sides. You heard the distress signal? He said, his voice surprisingly high. We did, Doug answered. We're here to help. What took you so long? Doug raised his eyebrows. Coral wasn't kidding. We came as soon as we got your message. The Gromler looked past them. Is this it? No adults of your kind? Your children? The cadets looked at each other. Try replying rudely, Goro suggested. I've read that it can be a form of bonding for the Gromlers. They may be more likely to accept our help. Doug shook his head. That sounded like a ridiculous idea. Oh well. You look like a bunch of little children yourselves, he told the short, stout man. There was a gasp among the Gromlers who'd congregated around them. That may have been a tad too far, Goro said. Yeah, uh-huh. A bunch of pouty little troll babies with high voices. Uh, Captain Colt, I don't think... Look at those sad, pudgy faces. You're like toddlers about to throw a tantrum. The Gromlers stepped forward and glared at him. Our people are fighting extinction every day. Doug shut his mouth. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good excuse. Dude, you are messed up, Dallas whispered to him. Leo shook his head, wishing in that moment he was anywhere rather than standing next to Doug. I like you, the Gromler said to everyone's surprise. Doug and the cadets perked up. This soft-faced baby has the heart of a Gromler. Welcome. My name is Lonk. Doug's brain had to catch up to what had just happened. Wow, um, thank you. 
I'm Captain Colt. This is my crew, Lydia, Dallas, and Leo. Lydia raised an eyebrow. Your crew? I'm trying to sound official, Doug whispered to Lydia. He looked back at Lonk. How can we help? Lonk turned and pointed up to an object floating in the sky. It was a giant metal tube, and projecting down from it was a bright red laser. Rid us of our deadline, Lonk said solemnly. What is that thing? Lydia asked. It is a device that has enslaved our people, Lonk replied. Every morning, at the same time, it turns on and beams down a deadly laser line across our land. It fans out and slowly drifts towards our city. We have to offer up three tons of our precious metal, Gralion. He pointed to a giant scale in front of their tallest building. If the quota isn't met before the time runs out, the laser line reaches our city and incinerates everything in its path. Automated pods come down at the end of every day, scoop up the metal, and take it back up to the machine. If the quota is met, the laser shuts off, only to be restarted the next morning. Dallas looked up at the machine. How did it get here? We don't know, Lonk said. It appeared only a couple cycles ago. We don't know who it belongs to or what they plan to do with our most precious metal. It is valuable in most markets, but we have not been required to refine it into its universal currency. We are only required to collect the raw material. The machine is a mystery. All we know is that it is capable of incredible destruction and it never stops. It only gets worse. The deadline is moved up every day. Doug and the cadets watched as two grommelers hauled crude blocks of a silver metal with a greenish hue onto the massive scale. Thudding onto the platform, the weight displayed above it ticked up. Exhausted, the grommelers marched back to work, chiseling more gralleon out of the rock with metal tools that looked like a cross between hedge clippers and a pickaxe. An alarm sounded from the sky and the grommelers all looked up at the floating tube. Cries of despair swept over them as the giant numbers displayed along the tube's side changed. Lonka covered the sun's glare with his massive hand and focused on the numbers. His face sagged. The deadline's been moved up and the quota's increased, he said, shocked. What? Just now? Doug said. The day's almost over. Are you going to be able to do it? Lonk shook his head. It's impossible. We have an hour to double the amount we've collected. It has taken us since sunrise to gather this much. Lonk watched his people. They tripped over themselves, frantically trying to throw more precious gralleon onto the scale. This is the end of my people. It wasn't supposed to end this way. Our scripts foretell of an end when our sun is burned out and we vanish in the blink of an eye. They say nothing of this. We will all die not knowing who placed this burden upon us. Nobody's dying today, Doug assured him. Goro, did you get all that? Affirmative, Goro replied. I'll see if I can scramble the vessel's controls remotely and shut it down. You see what you can do from the ground. Doug looked at Lonk. What weapons do you have? We are a peaceful people. We have no need for weapons. Then what are those? 
Dallas pointed to what looked like giant catapults on the other side of the tallest building. Gabernox. We use those to launch drills into the mountains and dislodge clusters of Gralion that are hard to reach, Lonk explained. You mean you've never used those things in battle? Doug checked, making sure he was pointing to the right objects. No. Why would we? Because back where we're from, we've used those to kill a lot of people. Doug realized how terrible that sounded as soon as it left his mouth. I mean, it's been used to launch things at the enemy. He pointed up at the tube. That is an enemy. I suppose it is worth a try, Lonk said. I rarely take advice from ugly children, but these are desperate times. He called over his strongest grommelers and had them escort the cadets to the three catapults. Okay, we're going to need three of the biggest chunks of growling you've got, Doug told them. The short, dark men looked like they were just asked to go jump off a cliff. But if we do that, we will never meet the quota, one of them said. Dudes, you're never going to make the quota because we're smashing the quota out of the air, Dallas explained. The Gromlers reluctantly complied and went to the scale to fetch their biggest hunks of metal. It took four Gromlers several minutes to push just one of the pieces onto a wagon. Doug looked up at the timer on the tube. They had less than 45 minutes. He looked at Dallas. Could you go lend them a hand? Yeah, that was pretty painful to watch, Dallas agreed. He walked over to the scale, did some stretches and deep breathing, and then ballooned into Megadallus. The crowd of Gromlers around him marveled at the transformation. A minute later, Dallas returned, balancing three of the biggest chunks of Gralion. One by one, he set each cluster into the cup of the catapult. Leo, you've got the best eye for this kind of stuff, Doug said. Let's have you do the shooting. Doug really did think Leo was the best suited for the task, but he also didn't want to be the one to look like a doofus when he took all that hard-earned Gralion and missed the target by a mile. Leo agreed and moved the catapults into position with a little help from Buff Dallas. He gave directions to Dallas by gesturing left, right, up, and down. Once they were all in position, Doug and the others stood behind the catapults and grabbed hold of the levers. On three, Doug instructed. One, two, three. The catapult arms lurched forward, launching the giant chunks of metal into the sky. The cadets and thousands of Gromlers watched as the Gralians soared towards the tube. Come on, come on, Doug whispered. Light flashed as the metal balls smashed into the tube. Taking a direct hit, the machine slammed back into the clouds and out of sight. The Gromlers erupted into cheers. Doug gave his team high fives, but totally whiffed it when he got to Lydia. The cheers from the crowd slowly died off and were replaced by groans. Doug looked back and saw the tube emerge from the clouds, unharmed. The numbers on its side showed 30 minutes until the deadline. A bright red laser line burst from its underbelly and scorched the ground below. Doug stared at it with a numb expression. Of course. Goro, any luck hacking it from the train? Negative, Goro said. It is well encrypted. Perhaps we should consider an evacuation. Not enough time, Doug said. There's got to be something we can do. 
Plan B, anyone? Lydia thought for a minute. What if... What if we flew up to it and tried to shut it off manually? Doug rubbed his chin. Go on. Our suits have jetpacks. Let's use them to get to the machine, and then Leo can use his hacking genius to break in and turn it off. Maybe he can make it self-destruct or something. Everyone looked at Leo, who gave a weak, nervous smile. Dallas patted him on the back with his buff hand. You can do it, traitor. I kind of believe in you. Leo took a deep breath and then nodded. Doug gripped his jetpack's joystick. Let's do it. The cadets flew off the ground and up into the sky. Dallas had to wait until he shrunk back down so that his jetpack could carry him. Doug did his best not to look down. For whatever reason, there was something far more terrifying flying through the air in a jetpack on an alien world than it was to putter around during a spacewalk. After a couple minutes, the blue jets under their jetpacks shrank and became little flames emitting a trail of haze. Up close, the tube was much bigger. Doug figured it was at least twice the size of a blimp back on Earth. They hovered up to it and looked it over. It hummed loudly. From inside came the sounds of grinding rock. Lydia pointed to a hatch door towards the top. That looks like a good place to get access, she said. Leo, why don't you start there? Dallas can keep an eye on the timer. Me and Doug will make sure Leo's safe while he works. Leo tapped his helmet, telling Lydia it was a good idea, and then flew up to the door. Leo, Doug called after him. How about you try to get access through that door up there, Dallas can watch the timer, and Lydia and I will make sure you're safe. Lydia stared at him. That's literally what I just said. I'm just making sure everybody heard it. Leo cruised up to the hatch and popped it open. Wires spilled out. Almost as soon as he started fiddling with them, a laser cannon unfolded out of the side of the tube and took aim at Leo. Leo, look out! Lydia shouted. Leo turned just in time to dodge the first blast. A green laser bolt grazed him and exploded into sparks in the open hatch door. Blue flame burst from Leo's jetpack as he flew in a hurry back down to the cadets. Go, go, go! Doug shouted. The four of them turned and rocketed away from the tube, laser bolts zipping by them as they fled. By the time they reached the ground, the firing had stopped. Lonk came running up to them. Did you do it? Did you disable the machine? Well, not exactly, Doug started. The crowd's cries interrupted him as the timer above dropped significantly, now displaying five minutes. Lonk slowly looked back at Doug, his expression harsh. What was your name again? Dallas, Doug answered. Listen to me, Dallas. You just wasted most of our quota and trimmed our deadline to nothing. Thanks to you, in a few minutes we are all going to die. Doug's eyes looked just past Lonk and studied the tall silver building in the background. Not far off, the laser line was approaching the city. Everything in its path turned to smoking ash as it passed over it. A tall tree growing out of the rock instantly burst into fire before turning to ash and blowing away in the breeze. Doug focused on the shiny building. What kind of metal is that? 
he asked Lonk. Lonk turned. Mainly silver, but there are traces of Gralian in the frame. Lydia, how reflective is silver? Doug asked. Very reflective? Why? What are you thinking? Doug looked up at the tube. They were down to just a couple more minutes. Mirrors reflect lasers. Maybe if we can make a mirror using that silver, we can use it to deflect the laser and aim it back at the machine. Leo pointed excitedly at Doug. See? Leo approves, Doug said. But how are you going to make a giant mirror in minutes? Lonk questioned. Watch. Doug walked over to the silver structure. Permission to destroy this beautiful building? It's going to be destroyed in a few minutes anyway, Lonk sighed. Permission granted. Doug closed his eyes and pictured a giant silver mirror. He imagined its depth and shape, its texture and strength. He pictured the silver metal melting and taking form, spreading across the ground as if he was icing a cake. Doug saw in his mind's eye his hands molding and caressing the material as it took form. Briefly, he opened his eyes and saw his hands shaking in front of him, the tall building melting like an ice sculpture and forming into pools of liquid silver below. Like a rushing river, it flowed out of the plaza and started to shape into a thin, wide rectangle. You're doing it, Doug! Lydia shouted. Doug's whole body was trembling now. He'd forgotten how hard it was to build with his mind without the Norb's help. His strength was draining quickly, but he gave it every ounce of energy he had. Another minute and the image in his head was complete. Catching his breath, he looked out and saw his creation. A mirror stretched from one end of the city to the other, just beyond the buildings. A hundred yards in front of it was the approaching laser. Completely sapped of strength, Doug collapsed to the ground. Quick! Everybody grab hold of the mirror and tilt it up at the machine! Lydia commanded. Everyone but Doug rushed to the mirror. The Gromlers and the cadets lifted the gigantic mirror and held it at an angle, aimed up at the tube. Just as the mirror was lifted into position, the laser line scorched up to them, passing into the mirror and reflecting back up at the machine. All watched as the burning red line suddenly appeared on the tube in the sky. It was followed by smoke, then fire then a bright blue explosion that ripped through the sky with a thunderous crack. Shards of singed machine and chunks of captured Gralian rained down. Everyone ducked behind the mirror for cover as it sprayed over them. Once all was quiet, the whole city burst into cheers of joy. Doug was lifted off the ground like a lifeless ragdoll and carried on the shoulders of Gromlers along with the rest of the cadets. They were celebrated and taken back to the space train where Lonk was waiting for them. You are resourceful children, he said as the crowd quieted down. Lydia and Leo held Doug up off his weak legs. How about you just call us cadets, Doug suggested under his breath. As you wish, baby cadets. We are forever indebted to you. He took a fist-sized cube of Gralian from his pocket and handed it to Dallas. As a token of our appreciation. Dallas held it out for the rest of the cadets to see. That is premium Gralian, Lonk said. It has been refined and aged over and over for decades. 
You can sell it for an incredible sum of money, or use it however you wish. It absorbs an immense amount of energy, and can serve you in many ways. The cadets thanked him for the generous gift and then carried Doug up the ramp onto the space train. Doug took the opportunity to rest his heavy, aching head on Lydia's shoulder. She didn't seem to mind. Once their suits were off, they returned to the cockpit. Impressive teamwork, cadets, Goro said as they took their seats. I think it's safe to say this whole ordeal is the exiles doing. I can only imagine what they plan to do with all that Gralian. As soon as we're beyond the atmosphere, I want a full report. Goro aimed the space train towards the sky and hit the boost. Vroom! They rocketed off the Grom surface and soared up into space. As the clouds cleared and the darkness of space filled their cockpit, a giant orange block came into view. It couldn't be. Was that a clay brick? Oh no, Goro muttered. The screen turned on in front of him and the pixels formed a familiar wet face. Hello, kiddies, said a slick, clay-faced man. Dimples stacked around his sly smile. Clay Bogan? Lydia said. Please, please, call me Professor Bogan. That was impressive what you did back there. You probably feel like heroes. But I have to say I am quite disappointed. This is no way to start off your time at the Academy. He leaned in close to the camera and grinned. You're late for class. Rocket Review! Rocketeers! Clay Bogan is back. Not sure how, I thought he crumbled, but we'll have to find out what he's doing here. And did you guys catch that bit about moons? So what was it Goro said that moons are? He said that moons are objects that orbit or revolve around a planet or an asteroid. And planets and asteroids orbit around the sun. Goro called moons natural satellites. And some have atmospheres and hidden oceans like Jupiter's moon Europa. There are hundreds of moons in our solar system alone. Mars has a couple. There are at least 67 hanging around Jupiter. And Earth, as you know, has one. We refer to it as the moon. And that ball of rock orbits the Earth every 27 days. So while we're revolving around the sun, our moon is revolving around us. And we've actually been to the moon. In 1969, USA's NASA Apollo 11 mission put a man on the moon. It was an incredible achievement for mankind. As I'm sure you've probably noticed, the moon doesn't look the same every night. The moon has phases. We call these lunar phases. Now, I know it looks like the moon is glowing, but it's not. That's just the sun's light reflecting off it. 
and each phase depends on what direction the sunlight's hitting the moon and what angle we're viewing it. Because it's a ball, like Earth, half of it is always lit by the sun. But as we discussed, we are revolving around the sun, and the moon is revolving around us, so our viewpoint is going to change. And that's why we see different phases of the moon. But no matter what phase you're seeing, half of that ball of rock floating around is lit. Now another cool fact I love about our moon is that it has about 17% of the gravity we have here on Earth, which means you float a lot more on its surface. So to put that in perspective, an NBA player here on Earth that can dunk on a 10-foot hoop can dunk on a 60-foot hoop on the moon. Being a basketball fan myself, that's pretty cool. I want to challenge you guys with a little help from your parents to look up the lunar phases and try to see if you can go outside at night and tell which phase you see. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening to this episode of Space Train, which has been a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for the feedback and the support, and I hope to keep you entertained with more stories to come. Be sure to check back next Monday. I'll see you then. This is your host, Greg Webb.